Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and joining me tonight is Joe. Um, Jason was supposed to join us, but uh, his wife is uh, a little busy with some schoolwork right now and needs the computer. So Jason might be on with us later, uh, but if not, it'll just be me and Joe tonight. How you doing, Joe? Uh, I'm hanging in there. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good after this last weekend. Um, Man, so I love the results of this past weekend for the Cubbies. The, the Cubs have been a part of eight sweeps this year, and this is the first one they've been on the good side of. So, yeah, they were due. Yeah. So, Joe, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am. I'm drinking uh, rum and coke because with this summer hot weather, I'd rather be at the beach. <laughs> Dude, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? It would be so nice to be on the beach right now. Um, for me tonight, from New Trail, I am drinking a Lazy River Pills. Uh, absolutely phenomenal Pilsner. Very crisp and refreshing. Uh, quite delicious. And relatively local up in the Williamsport area. So uh, definitely worth the uh, drive. I, w- I will admit the brewery itself is kind of back in a little bit of a sketchy part. But uh, it's worth the trip back. The uh, beers on tap are absolutely excellent. Nice atmosphere. So... Uh, yeah, I recommend it highly. Um, Jason said that tonight he is drinking a Blue Trail from uh, Lancaster Brewing Company, which is a lemon blueberry shandy. Uh, he says it's absolutely amazing, a little bit of a sour tang to it. So, uh, uh, Jason, enjoy your beer. And uh, like I said, hopefully we you can hop on later. If not, though, we'll see you next week. That All sour, right. That sour beer seems appropriate. I'm honestly surprised he's not drinking a sour monkey after last weekend. That seems like it'd be a little more appropriate or, you know, straight apple pucker at this point. (laughs) All right. So for the all-star break festivities last weekend, uh, first up on Monday night, we had what, what turned out to be a really good home run derby Um, in the quarterfinal round. We had a big upset eight, knocking off one. Pujols defeated Schwarber 20-19. to um, The round did go into a swing off. It was tied 13-13 after regulation. Um, and then you had number four, Juan Soto, knocking off Jose Ramirez, who was seated 5-18-17. The guy who I thought was the star of the whole freaking show, Julio Rodriguez at six, upset Corey Seager at the three, 32-24. And then, just like they did last time, number two, Pete Alonso beat Ronald Acuna Jr. at seven, but only by one, 20 to 19. And I'll say this, Joe, uh, Acuna, he got screwed by horrible pitching from his pitch. Like, I was I was complaining more about the pitcher than I was about anything else. I mean, this dude's trying to throw, like, cutters off the plate instead of lollipops in the kill-me zone on the inside so Acuna could just pull it with his power. I absolutely terrible terrible pitching and uh schwarber's pitching wasn't great either no schwarber's pitching wasn't very good but um i mean there's there's a lot of debate about whether the his count was correct i don't think it was i think that the the sentimental favorite for for albert uh to win that one but it didn't look right to me um you know uh yeah you know, pitching ninja normally gets highlights during regular games, and they got one in the home run derby by showing how bad the pitching was for Acuna. It was just awful. Like, like, why are you throwing cutters on the outer third that break off the plate? This is a home run derby. You're not trying to strike the guy out. Last time I checked, anyway. Yeah. Well, this, a, this is this is home BP. Run 
Yeah. This is not, this is not, I'm going to do my best Greg Maddox impression and see how many guys I can make look like a fool. This is you're throwing lollipops because we want them to get killed because that's the whole damn purpose of a freaking home run derby. Oh my God. You know, the sad thing is Acuna got to 19 I'm sorry, he got to, uh, yeah, he did get to 19, and he only had one 30-second bonus. He didn't get another far enough, he didn't get a second far home run to pick up the second 30-second bonus. So the fact that he did that in the, uh, so that'd be what, three and a half minutes, that's still pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good good show by him, and, and um, you know, like you said, the star of this was, was the kid from Seattle. Um, Who should have won. Should have, should have won. Um, had a hell of a monster first round. It was so much fun. Yeah. I, oh my God. When he started, when he got in that groove in that first round, I was like, Seeger's screwed. There is no chance he's going to catch that. And boy, was I right. <laughs> and I'm uh, not going to lie. I was 100% okay with that, too. All right. Moving on to the semis. Uh, Juan Soto finally knocked off the. Uh, Emotional favorite Albert Pujols, sixteen to fifteen. Soto took all three rounds. Soto took a while to get going. I mean, in the finals, it took him, uh, I think, forty-five seconds to hit his first home run before he went on a tear. And then, and let's face it, what was a much better semifinal between uh, J. Rod and uh, the Polar Bear? Uh, Rodriguez put up thirty-one, and Alonso could only put up twenty-three, which is not a bad number at all. But damn. 31, two straight rounds of 30 is absolutely phenomenal. And then in the finals, his luck finally ran out. Soto beat him by one, 19 to 18. For the Derby, the longest home run went to Juan Soto at 482 feet. He hit that in the first round. Um, Rodriguez hit the most home runs, though, at 81, and it wasn't even close. So Soto became the second youngest player to ever win the Derby. So, Joe, knowing that Rodriguez hit by far the most home runs. Do you have a preference of the head-to-head format versus the old format where it looked at total home runs for the entire Derby? I mean, we, we don't award um, home run titles for, for guys who do the, you know, do the best against a divisional opponent or some bull crap like that. Um, you know, the home run records are based on the number of, of home runs, not who you hit them against. Um, you know, so to me, total home runs makes the most sense for this. I mean, that's what we're tuning in to watch. Um, you know, so for for me, the old format makes more sense if you're going to reward the guy who puts on the best showing of the week. I mean, Soto had what 50 some home runs and won this thing. Yeah. And, And to me, that's a little, little ridiculous. I mean, you can keep the 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 time thing, you know, and the timeouts and the bonus time or whatever. But I I don't understand the the head to head part. I think it's better if it's all right. Here's the best eight home run hitters in the league. Let's see who wins. <laughs> yeah, Soto had I believe fifty three home runs, so he was off pretty significantly. He wasn't even close to J Rod's total. Um, 
Jason said in the group chat before we got started for Derby, I prefer home run count. No way should we have lost Seager so soon while others moved on with less. I also hate the timed format. I want the outs back. It's too chaotic. You don't get to see the mammoth shots or each home run. It leads to completely inaccurate and terrible play-by-play announcing. I, I will uh, completely agree with him on that one. Uh, the announcing by ESPN was not great. And they were often one or two home runs behind on the count. And that was moderately frustrating. Now, I understand MLB was trying to speed up a little bit because those old home run derbies went three and a half, four freaking hours long. So maybe initially, so maybe if you want to keep the timing to keep things moving, you can, but don't do it as a head to head, just do it as a lump sum. Right. That, that, that to me makes the most sense. Or if you're going to go back to the old format, don't do 10 outs the whole way. You know, for round one and round two, maybe do five to seven outs instead. And then for the finals, you know, give everybody 10 outs. I, You know, I just a thought. Something that, you know, just mix it up a little bit. Because, yeah, I, I, I'm not wild about the head-to-head. It's not really my favorite. And the fact that the guy who was almost 30 home runs ahead of his competition was second is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. All right. And then Tuesday night, we had the All-Star Game. It was the 92nd Midsummer Classic. It was held in Los Angeles, hosted by the Dodgers for the first time in 42 years. Previous Dodgers occurrences were 1949. That was up at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. The 1959, the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. And then 1980 was the last time at Dodger Stadium. The NL jumped to an early 2-0 lead in the first one. Betts singled Acuna home after his ground rule double. And then Goldschmidt later hit a solo home run in the inning. Because let's face it, if anybody was going to hit a home run on the NL side, it's going to be Paul Goldschmidt, who is just destroying any baseball that comes anywhere near home plate this year. And then the AL struck back in the fourth inning as MLB ERA leader Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers, of course, gave up a two-run home run to Stanton and a solo home run to Buxton. And that, that was all the scoring for the entire game. There was a ton of strikeouts the whole way around because that's what happens when you have the best pitchers in the league out there just throwing gas because they only need to throw one freaking inning. You know, um, That was the AL's ninth straight victory. Um, Joe, what do you th- did you watch much of the All-Star game? I kind of was popping in and out. I wasn't really heavily watching it because I'd rather watch the home run derby if we're being completely honest. I didn't watch much of it. Um, you know, I think we talked about this a ton before, but I, I, Gonsolin should have been the starter in this one, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, like you said, it's it's sometimes it's fun to watch and sometimes it's not. And I, honestly, um, given the state of the Cubs before before this weekend, I, I sometimes you just need to check out, and that's kind of my approach, I think. Yeah, no, that's understandable. Um, it, I did though, like I, I did like all the uh, fun I got to see the Contreras brothers having. Uh, that that was pretty freaking sweet. Not gonna lie. Um, I also saw that um, uh, Bednar of the Pirates did get in for that last inning, and it was because um, it was oh, crap. Which closer was Snicker going to use in the ninth? I can't think of. Anyway. Um, you said, no, give this guy the chance. I've been here, done that. Let him have a chance to pitch. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, stories like that. It makes baseball fun. It always does. 
Um, Jason decided this week that we are going to skip down on the farm because uh, we really didn't have much action at all because you know, All-Star Week across the board and across the minors. So uh, note down the farm prospects this week. Um, Joe, what's your uh, heartwarming story of the week? Hold on a second. I had that toward the back. <laughs> did, I jump, did I jump you out of order? My bad. A little bit. Um, <laughs> actually, so so story number one was the story you just alluded to. Um, Diaz giving giving Bednar the shot in the ninth inning. Um, he had he had warmed up like a few times earlier uh, in the game. Bednar had not much, just a few a few pitches. Um, but a little bit on on David Bender. Um, 2016, the Padres selected him out of Lafayette College in a round that no longer exists in the amateur draft. Um, the 35th round. The Padres in 2021 traded him to the Pirates as part of the deal that sent Musgrove to San Diego. Um, grew up in Mars, PA, about 25 miles north of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, fan favorite, good good all-around guy and he's pitching out of his mind this year um in the pirate bullpen um yeah diaz had been in an all-star game as you said in 2018 when he was on the mariners um this was benner's first shot and and diaz kept talking to um french in the the braves bullpen coach in, in in the bullpen during the game and saying you know hey let's let's give him a shot let's give him a shot you know i've I, I've done it before, as, as you mentioned. So, you know, normally these all-star games, they follow a script and it's this guy's pitching this inning, this guy's pitching that inning. And, and Diaz was supposed to be the guy for the ninth. And, and um, yeah, you know, it, it's – he was warming up in the fourth and then, you know, Gonsolin got out of, under control and got out in the inning. Um, you know, it, it was – yeah, just Diaz, like you said, he was like, I've, I've been here before. I've done this before. I, we don't know when he'll get to his next one because, let's be honest, we, the Pirates are sort of a unknown when it comes to how good they're going to be and how long he'll be on that team and, you know, what kind of career he's going to have. Um, you know, and, and so it, it, that was the big – the big story out of, out of the all-star game. It's, you know, Edwin really spearheaded the effort and, you know, things got going and everybody got involved emotionally in it. And, you know, it's, he, and, and um, French in the bullpen just thought, you know what, he didn't throw out much. He's, he's still got plenty of in the tank because he hasn't thrown a ton in the bullpen warming up. And, and it was a good moment for him. Um, And, you know, it's it's great to see what he's been able to do for the Pirates this year, get rewarded with a moment like that. And, and it's really nice to see guys in the game have that kind of respect for each other um, and, and respect the moment. Um, we talked an awful lot about how Miggy and Pools were in here and maybe they shouldn't have been. Um, but, um, you know, Bednar's pitched – lights out this year and deserved to be there. And I'm, I'm really excited that he got a chance to do that. 
Um, so that was my release the good story of the week. I have one more actually that I found just before we got going here. Um, it just it came out last week. Um, obviously, the the tragic shooting in Uvalde earlier this year. Um, Bo Jackson, legendary major league all star and NFL all star, the only guys to do it at, at in both sports. Um, paid for the funerals of all of those um, involved in that, and that just really really tug at me quite a bit reading that and. Um, he, he made an anonymous donation ahead of time for like 170,000, um, to help with things. So, um, Bo Jackson is a favorite of mine, obviously from Tecmo Bowl, cause he's an automatic winner, um, <laughs> to score a touchdown and, and whatnot. But, um, every time he touched the ball, you could not stop that man. No. And, and so this is just really, like, again, we talked a, a little bit ago about, you know, Athletes understanding the moment and and um, Bo Jackson is stand up guy and it really really a uh, really nice story. So yeah, no good stories, Joe. Um, I hadn't heard about the Bo Jackson story yet, so that's that's just awesome. All right, in this past weekend we had the uh, Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, a long list of guys that got in this year, which is pretty sweet. One on balloting, and that was David Ortiz. He got in on his first ballot. He's the first career DH to be selected on his first ballot, and I still don't think any DH should have been selected on their first ballot, but that's neither here nor there anymore because he's in. He's the fourth Dominican-born player to be enshrined after uh, Pedro Martinez, Vlad Guerrero Sr., and Juan Maricol. He hit 541 home runs, 1,768 RBIs. He had a career slash line of 286, 380, 552, and racked up a grand total of 55.3 war in his career. He won three World Series titles, all with Boston, including the big one that broke the curse. He was a 10-time All-Star, and he picked up seven seven silver sluggers along the way as well. We had Tony Olivia. He was elected by the Golden Days Era Committee, which looks at players from the 1950s through the ni- through 1969. He played all 15 seasons with the Twins, won three batting titles, led the AL in hits five times, and had a 304 career average over a 15-year career, which is absolutely incredible. He was the 1964 Rookie of the Year. Joe, listen, listen to this uh, rookie campaign he ran on. He hit 323. Had 217 hits, 43 doubles, 84 extra base hits, 374 total bases, 109 runs scored. He led the American League in every single one of those categories. That's, Damn. That's amazing. May uh, It's, it's going to be tough to beat that for greatest rookie campaign. <laughs> we also... Had, we also had a uh, mini Minoso was elected by the golden days era committee again, fifties through 69. He was the first black Latino player in the American or national league. He was known for his speed as well as his bat. He was a career 299 hitter with eight seasons over 300. He is the, he was the AL leader in triples and stolen bases three times each 167 total stolen bases for his career. He became the third player to get a hit after the age of 50 and the second player to appear in the major leagues in five different decades. Yet Buck O'Neill, he was elected by the early baseball era committee, which looks at players from the pre-1950s. 
He was a first baseman and manager in the Negro American League, mostly with the Kansas City Monarchs. He worked as a scout for the Cubs after his playing days, signed Lou Brock to his first professional baseball contract, became the first African-American coach in Major League Baseball, though he was banned from being the manager. Um, and if I remember right, he wasn't allowed to be in the dugout during games either. I think there was something really dumb and, you know, unfortunately inherently racist about that. Um, he played a major role in establishing the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I plan on going out whenever we go out there to see a game. I really want to go out and see that museum while I'm out there, hopefully next summer. Um, yeah, Jim Cat. He was elected by the Golden Days Era Committee. He is the only pitcher to face both Ted Williams, who retired in 1960, and Julio Franco, who retired in 2007. He picked up 283 wins. He was one of the best fielding pitchers of all times. He had 16 gold gloves, although, as we know, Joe, uh, Greg Maddox turned out to be the better fielding pitcher um, with, uh, what, 18 gold gloves. Um, after his playing days were over, he became a sportscaster for 22 years, calling games for both the Yankees and the Twins, and he picked up uh, seven Emmy Awards for excellence in sports broadcasting, which is just incredible. Um, Gil Hodges was elected by the Golden Days Era Committee. He led the Mets to their first World Series title in 69 as the manager of the amazing Mets team. Consider this, Joe. That team had never won more than 73 games in a season before that. He also hit 370 home runs during his career, mostly with the Dodgers. Um, and he was known for being an absolutely phenomenal defensive player. He ranked second in NL history with 1,281 assists and 1,614 double plays when his playing career ended. Absolutely incredible numbers. Um, Bud Fowler, he was elected by the Early Baseball Era Committee, 19th century pioneer, considered to be the first black player in professional baseball. He played for more than 50 teams as a top performer, but was often forced to switch teams because either a teammate or an opponent refused to take the field with him. Um, Hall of Famer Dave Winfield uh, gave the acceptance speech for him and said, quote, some fans loved him, but many of his own teammates and opposing teammates didn't. They didn't want to play with a black man. That was, uh, you know, unfortunately, that was a sad part of the era of the time. It's good to see him finally make the hall, though. And then, Joe, uh, Timmy Kay, one of our favorite writers and analysts. I'll, I'll let you take it. I'll let you talk about Timmy. Yeah, um, I mean, most people our age, we've grown up on, on, on Tim Kirkchen, and he's just so much energy and so much passion to the sport. Um, it's it's really fun. He was honored uh, with the Career Excellence Award for meritorious contributions to baseball writing, and that's an understatement in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it, he he was quoted as saying, "Johnny Bench called him to congratulate him and said, congratulations, Tim. Welcome to the club. You're one of us now.' Um, you know, he said, "I'm not one of them. I'm not in their club, but the greatest catcher of all time called me to congratulate me." So. Uh, <laughs> You know, and I'm sure he probably had one or two stories about Johnny Bench tied in there about, you know, how many balls he can hold it in his hands and all this other stuff. And like four or five. That man yeah. had freakish hands. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know, he's really happy to see Big Pop again. And he wrote for Sports Illustrated for seven years before joining ESPN in nineteen ninety eight. Um, and he's been a part of baseball coverage for them ever since. Um H. That doesn't seem possible that it's been that long. No, it really doesn't. Um, I feel old. <laughs> yeah. 
he used to cut out newspaper box scores for like 20 years and keep them in a spiral notebook. And then um, finally his kids were like, you can get these and print these off. You don't have to do this anymore. Um, but, but that that just shows you the amount of passion he has for the game and the amount of excitement he gets out of it. You know, we talk a lot. I've talked a lot about Vin Scully and how much I enjoy listening to him. He could make, you know, a, a grocery list exciting and Tim Kirkshin could find, you know, you know, some nugget about a player from 20 years ago and, and connect it to what's going on in, in his career at this time. Like it's, he, he's a timeless, timeless sports writer, um, you know, big time personality, obviously, and uh, worked on the Orioles beat chronicled Cal Ripken's pursuit of Lou Gehrig's milestone. And, you know, his, his final quote was, baseball is the greatest game. It's the best game of all time. It's the hardest game in the world to play. It's a beautiful game. And a number of people I have met in this game who will be my friends for the rest of my life. You know, one of my favorite things that Timmy K did was during 2020 when baseball was locked out, he was doing that what happened in baseball on this day you know, for whatever year ago, how many ever years ago. And I'm sure he didn't have to go looking up, you know, on a website, things that happened in baseball on this day. I'm sure he just got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And he did such a good job of representing as many. I actually think he did at least one article on every team. He did such a good job of making sure everybody got mentioned in there. Or, you know, I think one time, you know, a couple times it was uh, like a Hall of Famer's birthday. So, you know, he did a whole article on them and his stories about them. Uh, honestly, it, it was the baseball fix we all needed in 2020 to help us get through that lock that lockout until the game was able to come back. Um, and, you know, his crazy quote he said about Big Poppy, he said, I checked with the Elias Sports Bureau, which I do virtually everything, and we established that this is the largest disparity in size between a player being inducted and a writer being honored in the same year. I gave up at least a foot and close to 200 pounds to David Ortiz. <laughs> Always has his sense of humor, and it comes through in his writing, too, which is something I just absolutely love about Kirchin. Um, it's such a great honor. I'm so happy he got, uh, he, he got, I know it's not a hall of fame induction. It, it, it screw that Tim. You're in the hall of fame, man. <laughs> Take your accolades, man. You have 100% earned them. No questions asked by me or anybody else. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you brought up David Ortiz. I, we, you know, first ballot DH is, is still a little weird, but I think, um, the more I think about it, um, Poppy was larger than life personality, and he was such a big part of what Boston was able to do that I, I think the the amount of, again tying into Timmy K here, the amount of passion that Ortiz played with, um, you know, it, it seems fitting. And, you know, here's the thing, Joe, if we didn't have the postseason heroics from Poppy, he's got good enough numbers that he would have been in eventually, no doubt about it. But I think his postseason heroics really it was what really made the writers overlook the fact that he was just a DH and push him through because there have only been two DHs in the history of baseball that I think 
should even be considered for first ballot. And it was Big Poppy and Edgar Martinez. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider any of the other DHs for first ballot, probably not even second or third ballot. So uh, I, I would say the postseason heroics. I mean, he, the, uh, the year he won the AL, the ALCS MVP award, he hit something like six, he was hitting in the six seventies that for that series, like he completely changed that series around um, without his bat. Boston doesn't win that series and go on to win the world series. No chance. All right, Joe, uh, let's look at some midseason awards. So um, our preseason picks for AL MVP, all three of us had Vlad Jr. And Jason said uh, Shohei would also be a strong possibility. Um, who's your AL MVP at this point? Is it Are you sticking with Vlad or do you have a different player you're going with? I mean, I think um, I, you have to figure it's one of these guys in, in – in New York, Judge has been ridiculous all season long. Um, you know, um, so to me, it's probably Judge's going away at this point. Yeah, that's actually my pick too. Is Aaron Judge right now? He's got a two ninety four, three seventy six, six fifty slash line. His OPS is one point oh two six, which is second in the American League to uh, Jordan Alvarez's one point oh seven five. Judge has hit an absolutely incredible 37 home runs so far. I think only one of those has been since the All-Star break passed. That's mm -hmm. insane. That The dude's on pace to beat the single-season home run record if he keeps smat And let's face it, there is no sign that he's going to be slowing down anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Aaron Judge on this one. And not yeah, and, and this, is, this is usually Jason's – big sticking point with the MVP is the most valuable player to their team. And he's clearly it. Well, and not only that, he's not only the most valuable player on the Yankees, he is the most valuable player in the American league right now. You could drop him on any team and he will immediately make them better. Yeah. And I tell you what, Aaron judge beginning of the year when he was kind of like, I'm betting on myself and we're like, okay. And yeah, <laughs> Well, don't bet against Aaron Judge. He's winning that one right now. I think the Yankees are uh, so relieved that they came to an arbitration agreement before the arbitration hearings and everything because, boy, if they hadn't, they were going to get raked over the coals. Now, And I know arbitration hearings do not look at this year's stats because normally they happen in the offseason. It just got pushed back because of the uh, lockout. But still, next year's arbitration, oh, boy, that's uh, Aaron Judge going to be – well, I'm sorry, he'll be a free agent. Never mind. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Judge, uh, he picked the right time to trust himself, and, boy, that's coming through uh, in droves right now. So uh, I, I will be shocked if anybody passes Aaron Judge at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, one of two guys in baseball that bet on himself, and this guy is actually winning this one. <laughs> <laughs> With no lifetime ban forthcoming. <laughs> and we won't even get into the uh, hypocrisy around uh, Fandles deals and uh, Pete Rose still being banned from baseball. <laughs> Uh, although he will be honored with the 1980 World Series champion Phillies team coming up. So I uh, 
Could it be a sign of the ice starting to thaw? Probably not as long as Rob Manfred is in charge. But you can dream and hope. All right, Joe, for NL MVP, you were looking at uh, Chris Bryant, Jesse Winker, and Bryce Harper. I mean, the Harper pick wasn't bad, man, but he's hurt now, so I think you can uh, pretty much toss the Harper pick out the window. Although, I, 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 if you would call him your first half MVP, I would have a hard time arguing with that. Um, who, who's your pick for NL MVP for the first half? I'm actually interested to hear who you think is, is the <laughs> NL MVP first. Well, let's see here. So, you know, this one's hard because I think a lot of guys, uh, there are are probably three or four guys right now that are extremely deserving of the NL MVP right now. I think right now it's going to be Goldschmidt because the way that dude is hitting right now and the fact that he's got an outside shot at the triple crown gives him a huge leg up. Um, the other guys I think we have to look at, I think you have to look at Freddie Freeman. I think you have to look at Austin Riley right now. Um, and I know, I, I know I'm going Homer pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know Jason's probably pissed that he can't be on to give me some shit about it, but let's face it. Austin Riley this year is just, he's hitting out of his freaking mind right now. He just hit his 28th home run of the season, which is second in the uh, National League behind Schwarber's 30. He's got um, an OPS of 947, which is tied with Freddie Freeman for second. He's got 28 doubles. He's hit 63 RBIs. I And he's batting 295, Joe. Like, this is the guy that when he came up would chase every damn slider off the plate, like to the point that the Braves – uh, sent him back down to AAA for a month and a half to retool his swing. And he's he solved his chase issues. I mean, he, he still strikes out a bit, but that's because he's aggressive at the plate. And, I, you know, he's still hitting 295 despite the strikeouts. So <laughs> who am I to argue? No, I, I can't say I disagree with you there. I've got – I'm going to say there's a, there's a, a top two, and I think, um, you know – it's probably um, Goldie is, is is pretty high on, on the list, and it's painful for me to say that um, for obvious reasons for Goldschmidt there. Um, but I think also too, um, Mookie Betts has been really strong for for the Dodgers this year, um, and, and has been helpful in keeping them where they are. Really? Not not the best, probably not the best number wise, but defensively he's been phenomenal this year. Um, but that's the thing. So is Freeman, right? You've got two Gold Glove guys right out there in L.A. So I feel I feel like the defense kind of bounces, or you have to give a leg up to Freeman because first basemen are involved in virtually every ball that's hit. So. Right. I, I agree. Mookie's having a good year, but I think Freeman's more valuable to the Dodgers than Mookie is. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I, just an, I think it's just another name out there. I think Goldschmidt seems to be kind of clearly the the odds-on favorite at this point for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, a guy having an outside shot at the Triple Crown still. It's really hard to argue with that. I mean, it's been. 
was Miggy the last one to get the triple crown period? I, I think I so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it, it's been a long time since. Yeah, it's been a very, very long time. So uh, my dad's asking, uh, what's your thought about Juan Soto for NL MVP? Um, I mean, he might be the most valuable member of the Nationals, but the Nationals are, you know, a, a, have a, what, 30 wins? Yeah, it's uh, what 30, 33, 32. Yeah, 32. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you have the worst record in the league, and you you have a guy in Soto who, eh, I mean, it, is, is he having a decent year? Probably for him, but not not nearly on par with his other years. That's for sure. I, and, I can't I can't pick Soto this year. I, I just can't. His, he's trying to do too much because he is literally the only good guy outside of Josh Bell on his team. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, of the two, Josh Bell would be my – if I had to pick a national for MVP, it would be Josh Bell, not Juan Soto. His 82 walks lead the league by a very long shot, and I don't expect anybody to catch him there. But he's forcing so much. I mean, he's only hitting 245 this year. And I know batting wow. averages and everything. But 245 with 20 home runs, whereas Josh Bell, 305, 13 home runs, but he also has 51 RBIs. I mean, Bell's bringing the guys home that Soto's not bringing home. Well, granted, nobody gets on base for the Nationals, so that's that's you know, tough to look at. But look at pure base hits. Josh Bell's picked up 107. Juan Soto's only picked up 79. Doubles, it's 22 to 17 in favor of Bell, and somehow Bell has three triples and one Soto doesn't have any. I, that one, I'm not quite sure how the hell that happened, but it did. Um, I, Yeah, if I'm picking an MVP from the Nationals, it's going to be Josh Bell this year. It's not Juan Soto. Soto's, for him, this is not a good year. And that's still, that's not a bad year, honestly, for most players. It's just for Juan Soto and the lofty expectations we have for him, that's not going to cut it. Yeah, I mean, you can't have a year like this and then turn down $440 million. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> like, that. I mean, even if his numbers were halfway decent, I still wouldn't consider him because it's just, to me, that just turning down that kind of money just makes you look stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, whatever team picks him up, if they decide to tr to go after him, you're going to be in the same position that the Angels have been in for 10 years with Mike Trout and nobody else. I mean, at least they finally have Shohei Otani, so at least they have something. Right. Although, uh, not not show. Well, I'll talk about when we get to the Braves because that was the that that was one of the strangest outings I think I've ever seen. All right, moving on. Let's look at the Cy Youngs. Your preseason picks for Cy Youngs were uh, John Means and Lance Lynn. So. Uh, Joe, you're looking great in your preseason picks right now, man. I, I can't lie. You know, one guy out for Tommy John and one guy was hurt for, it seemed like, most of the first half of the season. So uh, uh, what are you thinking now for AL Cy Young, man? First off, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, first off. Um, <laughs> I'm a Cub fan. I understand that. Um, but second off, I think I also, you know, mentioned as, as a behind, you know, Back burner candidates beginning of the year, um, Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease has been the brightest spot on the on the White Sox, and if he could pitch 
more than once every fifth day, they'd be taking away this division. They need him to pitch more than once every fifth day. But, hey, the results have been there. I mean, the guy's 10-4. and four, He's got a 203 ERA on the season. He's struck out 154, which I believe leads the AL, or it's pretty damn close if it's not. Yeah, he's leading the AL. He's one ahead of Garrett Cole. He's got a 1.19 whip, and he's got a 203 batting average against. Yeah. I can't, I can't argue with that. That's uh, The results no. are definitely there. The fact that he was a – he didn't make the all-star game. It's just baffling to me. Utterly ridiculous. Absolutely utterly ridiculous. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't with that one. Um, so my pick for, I know I didn't think I was going to say this, especially beginning of the year at this point, I think my pick for AL Cy Young's Justin Verlander. He leads the majors and wins with a 13 and three record. Although Kyle Wright's right behind him at 12. He's got a 186 ERA, which is second in the Amer- in the American league behind Shane McClanahan, who would also be an excellent pick. I would have no arguments with that. Um, Verlander has thrown 116 in the third innings coming off the injury, which is good for seventh in the AL right now. He's gone back to his strikeout ways. He's sixth in the American League with 117 strikeouts. He's got a .88 whip and a .192 batting average against. That's number two in the American League in whip, number two in average against. Again, both of them are behind Shane McClanahan. I think right now at this point, I think it goes to Verlander. Uh if it went to McClanahan, I would have no qualms with that. I would have no qualms either with uh, Dylan Cease as well. He's having a great year. The other guy I think you have to look at um, as an outside shot right now would be Alec Manoa of the uh, Blue Jays, also having a great year, 11-4, and four, the 224 ERA, struck out 110, .97 whip and a 210 average against. Um, the American League pitchers this year, which as we saw during the All-Star game when they struck out a crap load of National League hitters, um, are all very good, and it's a very, very, very deep, very deep pick. Uh, my dad picked uh, – his pick is McClanahan. Like I said, uh, no qualms, no arguments there. I, I Very hard to pick against that one. And, uh, yeah, my, my preseason AL Cy Young picks were uh, Carlos Rodon and Lynn. So, yeah, I, I was uh, right there with you on that one, Joe. I'm not in the ballpark of where I am now. I will say this. Uh, Jason has a guy who could be on the outside looking in because he had Garrett Cole picked. Uh, I, but I don't see, as it is right now, I don't see Garrett Cole getting ahead of those guys. Yeah, All I right. mean, I didn't like Garrett Cole enough to begin with, but after that whole – complaining about a, a delay in the game of about like five, seven minutes. I was like, nope, no thanks. Yeah, winners don't get a lot of love and they shouldn't. Um, looking at the NL, this one was also a mess. Uh, Joe, your picks were uh, Jacob deGrom and Jack Flaherty. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not going to happen. And then outside outside shots, you also had Bueller, who's now hurt, so that's probably out. Wheeler, who who is not a bad pick. I don't think he's going to be one of them though, just because the Phillies can't provide run support when he needs it. And uh, Max Scherzer, who is a good pick, but again was hurt for a month and a half, so I, I don't know that he's going to be able to put up enough numbers to pass the guys that are looking. Um, up at the top right now. So w- what's your pick on uh, NL 
Cy Young. Yeah, this is this is. I mean, Gonsolin is having a monster year. Um, so it probably would would be a front runner there. Um, you know, I it, the NL is a little tougher because it's just not as strong pitching wise as the American League is. I think. Um, I, I think for me, it's between Gonsolin and Alcantara. Um, and Alcantara has just been having a monster season for the Marlins. It's just been insane. I, I think, I think so, here's the thing with the NL Cy Young. Every year it comes down to what stat are you looking at? Are you going to look at total wins? Are you going to look at the ERA? Are you going to look at strikeouts? What are you looking at? Because each guy is strong in one area, good in another area, but they're not as strong as a bunch of other guys. It, there's no runaway favorite this year with the Amer- or with the National League. Uh, I honestly, for me, it's Alcantara. He's only nine and four, but you got to consider he freaking pitches for the Marlins, so that doesn't help. He leads the National League with a 181 ERA. Um, he's already thrown two complete games in his 20 starts. He leads in innings pitched significantly. He's at 144 and a third. Second place is uh, Nola at 126 and two thirds, and then Freed and Mikolas at 125 and a third. With strikeouts, Alcantara is fourth in the National League at 133. He's got a .9 whip, which leads the National League. He's got a .187 average against, which is second in the National League to Corbin Burns' .186. I I think it's got to be Alcantara, man. It's... The The only other guys I could even try to make an argument for... I, you know, if you want to look at wins, you could look at you could look at Gonsolin. He is eleven and zero, and he's got an ERA at two, but he's only thrown ninety three and two thirds innings. He's not even. I don't believe he's even qualified for ERA titles at this point because he doesn't have enough innings pitched. Um, Atlanta's got two double digit leaders. Kyle Wright's twelve and four, but he's up near two ninety five. Max Fried's ten and three, down at two seventy four. Of the two, my pick from Atlanta would be Max Fried. He's got the one hundred nine WHIP and a two forty two average against. Um, but even you know, even those guys, you know, there's there's things you can poke arguments in for both of them. Although I have to say, I didn't realize Max Fried's only walked twenty two guys this year. That's uh, damn, that's pretty good. Um, and we won't even talk about Ian Anderson leading the National League in walks right now. I, we're not even going to get into Ian Anderson because that'll make me mad. Um, but I, I think right now it's got to be Alcantara. Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard to argue with what he's been able to do, and and two complete games in an era where we don't have complete games anymore, really, on a regular basis. Um, but I think you have to look at two. I think. With Gonsolin, it's almost like, are you going to punish a, a pitcher because the 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 way that the team is structured is okay? You give us six, that's fine. Um, versus somebody like the Marlins, where you kind of basically want Alcantara to pitch nine innings every fifth day because you mean have to best pitcher on your club. <laughs> I, th- I think you're looking for the words have to have him pitch nine innings every five days because uh, your bullpen's kind of scary looking. Right. I mean, the, the, that's the, the one blessing and curse with the Dodgers is that they have a solid bullpen 
and they don't need him to go seven, eight, nine innings. Um, you know, but so I don't know. I mean, Gonsolin, as far as 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 wins go, is obviously taking the cake, but Alcantara is having the more complete year, in my opinion. Yeah, I I can't argue with that. Um, and like I said, wins aren't everything. So, all right, let's look at rookie of the year. I'm going to make this a little bit easier and let you pick one pitcher, one batter for rookie of the year consideration. I, we probably did pick that in the preseason and I just forgot to write it down. I'll have to listen back to the old episodes. Um, I know for NL, I think all three of us were pretty high on Seiya Suzuki. I can't remember who we all were high on for the American League. Jason, I know he was pretty sure he had Julio Rodriguez. Um, I probably had Julio Rodriguez as well, or I might have also had um, – oh, who's the guy for the Royals? Uh, Bobby Witt. Yeah, Bobby Witt. I think Bobby Witt was the other guy I was really high on. So um, – what are you thinking for uh, for the rookies right now? Um, I, I think in the American League, this is probably a, probably um, Julio, Julio's award to lose at this yeah. point. Um, not only has he been a, a solid piece for them, but then he was obviously a, a show at the All Star game, and obviously the stats don't matter there. But um, for for him, but that type of energy and that type of, of personality is going to win you a lot of fans, um, you know, that, that type of energy. So to me, it's probably Julio running away in the American league. Um, yeah, I, I agree. The only other guy in the American league I would consider at least in the hitting side would be Stephen Kwan of the guardians. Um, he's hitting 292, 369, 379 right now. He's not a power guy like Rodriguez. He only has two home runs. He's an outfielder, but he's got he's picked up 87 hits. He's uh, scored 45 runs, 14 doubles, uh, 27 RBIs, 33 walks, only 29 strikeouts, and that's in 83 games. But I, I I'm sorry, average isn't going to put up the sheer load of numbers that Julio Rodriguez has put up so far. No, and, and, and Guan's a good secondary pick based on, um, you know, the way he started the year where he went, what, 16, 17 straight games with, with the hit or yeah. on base? Like, it was nuts. Um, yeah, that, you know, that, that's borne out. The Julio stuff has definitely borne, borne out. He's, he is as advertised, at least at this point. Yeah. And then uh, pitchers, it doesn't look like the American League really has a deep group of pitchers um, to pick from. I think probably the only the two biggest guys I would look at are Joe Ryan of the Twins and George Kirby of the Mariners. Um, uh, Ryan's made 15 starts, 7-3 at the 289 ERA. He struck out 73 guys, 105 whip, 207 average against. Kirby in 12 starts is, only has a 2-3 and three record, but a 378 ERA. He has struck out 62 to only 9 walks, 124 whip, 273 average against. Um, I, I, I'd say of those two, Joe Ryan, but let's be realistic. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be Julio Rodriguez, so I, this is kind of – academic at this point right pretty much all right let's let's switch it over to the uh national league and look at the uh qualified rookies over here because 
honestly, I could see two guys really taking this, um, both from Atlanta. So, uh, but here's the thing. Seiya Suzuki is definitely not out of the running for this. Uh, he actually has played six more games than Michael Harris has um, and has put up pretty similar numbers. So I, I definitely can't say uh, it's going to be an Atlanta guy's award to lose. So, Joe, what are you thinking for National League Rookie of the Year for the hitters? Um. I would probably say Christopher Morrell, and I know that sounds like a a, a bit of a homer pick. Um, I have to grab onto what I can grab onto um, <laughs> in the city of Chicago. Um, but um, you know, he he went on a 21 game on base streak to start his career, and he's 21 years, 22 years old. Um, was in Double A and was brought up, and he has been a huge spark for them ever since. Um, in, in 59 games this year, 40 runs, six, 64 hits, 13 doubles, three, four triples, nine homers, 29 RBIs, 24 walks, 75 strikeouts, uh, nine steals, and he was caught five times. Um, slash line at 282, 353, 493, and the OPS at 846. Yeah, I, you know, Morel probably is the better choice over Suzuki at this point. Oh, it's 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 not even close in my opinion. Um, you know, and he's been so important to them. He he plays center and he plays second and he plays he can play third. Um, you know, he, he could play just about anywhere they need him to. So he's and, a younger, less hurt version of KB who's actually hit home runs on like KB this year. Well, and he's just, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Sure, um, you know I think um, what what's really impressive about him is he he brings a ton of energy to the sport. He brings a ton of flair to to, to playing in the field. He loves the game. Um, you know he, he hit a homer onto to Waveland in his first at bat on the first pitch he saw at Wrigley Field. Damn, like. Welcome really? to the show, kid. Um, <laughs> Welcome like, to the show. It's, it's just ridiculous, man. Like the, the guy has been so fun to watch, and 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 you know, for a twenty-two-year-old to go, I'm getting my shot. I'm going to take it. And for a hat tip, and I don't say this very often, so mark this episode. A hat tip to David Ross for letting him hit leadoff and and letting him take that and just go with it. Um, you know, he was he was lights out as a leadoff guy and had tip to Ross for putting him in that spot. Yeah, and definitely the best choice that they have to be leadoff because, God forbid, he started Jason Hayward so many times, there was definitely a risk that uh, he could have uh, put Hayward at leadoff just to piss off Cubs Nation because apparently the dude's unfireable no matter how bad this team is. So. So, Joe, I'm going to make my argument for uh, Michael Harris now. Um, Harris has only appeared in 52 games, so like I said, right around uh, Suzuki and Morrell, a little bit less. He's hitting 285, 318, 484 right now. He's hit eight home runs already and only 186 at-bats, I might add. Scored 31 runs, nine doubles, two triples. 
Um, he's already stolen 10 bases and has not been caught yet. The dude's got a great glove out in center field, and he's got a cannon for an arm. He makes plays that remind me of Andrew frickin' Jones, who is the best center fielder I have ever seen play the game. Ken Griffey was great. Andrew Jones was better. I, I don't care what anybody has to say about that. And the uh, advanced defensive metrics agree with me on that. Uh, Jones, I believe, has the highest D-war of any outfielder in history. Um, granted, that's for the older guys. It's really hard to tell because clippings are pretty crappy to try and figure that out. Um, Michael Harris, I watched him catch a ball in probably two-thirds to deep center Flat-footed, gun a guy out trying to score from third. Flat-footed. He's got the power and he's got the accuracy that remind me of a certain Japanese guy named Ichiro Suzuki who I watched throw a ball from the uh, right field foul pole to third base on a line. Suzuki still has a better arm. I'll give him that. <laughs> probably all these years retired, Ichiro could probably still out throw most of the guys in the league right now. Let's be realistic. But for me, uh, Michael Harris came up and he helped to spark that 14 game winning streak and really helped turn the team around. It, it, it's really hard for me to pick against him. And I don't disagree with everything you said about Morrell and I wouldn't be upset if he does take it, but Right now, for me, it I, I can't go against Harris. And it's like a, like we've said many times, Homer picks are allowed, especially when it turns out that the Homer pick turns out to be true. <laughs> All right, Joe. Uh, and now here's the thing. The AL, it's pretty much locked in. The NL, it's not locked in. Um, there's some pitchers that could absolutely be in the conversation. Um, I'll let you, do you want to lead this or do you want me to go? Do you want me to go home or pick back to back? You can go home or pick back to back. You've been, you've earned that. All right. So Spencer Strider started the year in the bullpen, um, and bullpen slash long relief guy. And since, uh, was moved to the fifth spot in the rotation to try and stabilize it. And I believe since the all-star break was moved up to fourth, to drop Ian Anderson's inaccurate ass down to fifth, where he should be this year. Um, he's only started 10 games, 21 appearances overall, but he's four and three with a 303 ERA, 74 and a third innings. He has struck out 114 guys, 105 whip, 180 batting average against. Once again, the dude comes in and stabilizes the rotation really well. I, I think of the two, I think I lean Harris because I tend to lean towards the everyday guys before I lean towards pitchers. But Spencer Strider absolutely makes a good argument to be included in that list. Um, another pitcher I would absolutely, I, I would, yeah, I, no, I'm sorry with his numbers. I, I wish I could include Hunter Green of the Reds who is one strikeout behind uh, Strider for leading the NL rookies, but uh, 311-578, that's not just the Reds' lack of run support hurting you. That's you're also giving up too many runs, despite the fact that you also strike out just about everybody you see until they see you for the th for a third time and then crush you. <laughs> what do you think, Joe? 
It's hard to argue with, with what Spencer Strider has been able to do. Um, I mean, the, the rookie of the year is primarily an offensive award, I think, most of the time. Um, so I'd be surprised to see it go away from a, a, a player, a position player. Um, but Strider is definitely making a case. Yeah. I mean, the the fact that he's struck at 114 and 74 and a third is uh, pretty damn good. And the yeah. fact that the, the Braves aren't even convinced that he'll be a long-term starter and they might want to move him back to the bull, like that he's got that flexibility to be able to do that is just utterly insane. Yeah, I, I think, too, you know, what he's been able to do with uh, – it took Morton a, a little while to get – adjusted this year um and so he's been a, a good uh supporting cast to net rotation to max freed and, and and morton who's now pitching like charlie morton you know should be pitching normally does yeah <laughs> right um spencer strider's strikeout per nine right now 13.8 <laughs> and he's got a 3.8 strikeout to walk so i mean he he can be a little wild at times, uh, no doubt about it. Um, I, I still have a really hard time arguing with 114 strikeouts to only 30 walks. Not bad. Yeah. All right. So yeah, let's um, just to recap Jason's picks for these awards. Oh, you got um, them. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, he had Aaron Judge and Paul Goldschmidt MVPs for AL and NL. Uh, yep. McClanahan and Alcantara for the Cy Youngs. No arguments. And, uh, Julio and Strider for Rookie of the Year. Okay. Yeah, I can't. I can't. He's pretty much right along the line with all of us. So, yeah, I can't argue with that. I, I love Strider. I, I really think of the two, I think it's going to be Harris because uh, you tend to give the nod to the everyday players unless you can just blow people out of the water, which – Frankly, Strider does have the arm to do that, so it's going to be really interesting to see over the end of July and into August how the two of them do, along with everybody else, of course. Um, so we'll see how that goes from there. All right, so uh, not a whole lot to talk about from the teams this week because they only played one series each, but we have, we have, some, we have some good things to talk about. And I think uh, Jason's like, hey, Karen, take your time. They're on the teams right now. I don't want to be on right now. So uh, the Braves, they took two out of three from the Angels. Game one was an eight to one victory. Game two was a seven to two victory. Game three was a nine to one loss. Uh, Riley has remained hot, six for 11 for the series, the double, a homer, two RBIs, three runs scored. He's currently on a 16 game hitting streak, Joe, and has 28 home runs for the season. Since June 1st, the Braves are 35 and 12 with the best record in the majors over that span. They're 19 and 7 at home during that stretch and have outscored their opponents 132 to 87 over that period of time. Kyle Wright has won five straight decisions and is now one victory behind Justin Verlander for the MLB lead. As a team, the Braves lead the National League with home runs at 150. Uh, the Yankees still lead overall. Um, here's you want to talk about crazy games. Shohei Otani, because the Angels have nothing to lose, so they're just going to run their rotation like normal, whereas the Braves started Morton and went 
um, because they're getting ready for the Philly series. And actually, that's what the Phillies did too. They ran three, four, five against the Cubs to get their top guys lined up for Atlanta. Um, Shohei Otani pitched in game one for the Angels, and for the first six innings, he was basically unhittable. Um, the only hit he gave up in those first six innings was a double to Austin Riley in the second inning. And then the seventh inning, uh, Dansby Swanson got on with a walk. Matt Olson hit a two-run home run. Three straight singles. Arcia hits a, a two- or three-run home run off him as well. He struck out 11 guys. That was his fifth straight game. He's had double-digit strikeouts, but because of that one inning, his season URA jumped from 2.23 to 2.8. <laughs> you don't see that this late in the season ever. I Talk about, you know, the analytics guys love to hound on that third time through the order. You got to watch out for that third time. My question, after Matt Olson hits the two-run home run, okay, you let him go because it's Shohei. He gives up three straight singles and, and one run scored it. Yeah, one run scored uh, Arcea's home run was through and shot. And I understand he struck out Arcea the previous two at-bats. But clearly something can't be right because he's finally getting hit. Why the hell did they leave Shohei in to face Arcea? I, I, I don't understand that. And uh, I understand bad management has been a big reason for the lack of success for the Angels this year, along with injuries to Mike Trout, which I was actually kind of disappointed that Mike Trout didn't play. I would have loved to have seen him play, but you know that's that's the rub sometimes. Uh, what the hell? That that is absolutely asinine and makes no sense to me. I. What do you think? I. Uh, well, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question. I'm used to to bad management of pitchers, so <laughs> that's true. That's true. But she like wh- what the hell? I mean, how, I mean how- bad man- bad management in the dugout is is the the least of their worries in Anaheim. Holy hell! <laughs> but Jesus, that's that, that was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if 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 a guy is giving up that much contact in, in the in the four prior batters to, to a guy. I don't care that you've struck him out twice. Clearly he's not getting it done anymore. Clearly he's, he's lost some, some speed here and, and he's rattled. You know, like, yeah, you can see the guys getting rapidly rattled, giving up. <laughs> so yeah. Dumb. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, you know, Numbers are one thing when it comes to managing players, but there's a feel to it. And 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 the fan, particularly guys like us, we're watching the game and we're like, okay, pull him, pull him. Three home, three three runs later, you son of a gun! You should have pulled him three four hitters ago. I I I don't understand, and I mean I get it. They have no just like Alcantara and the Marlins, the Angels have nobody else. So. You know, they're already scraping the barrel once Otani comes out of the game, but what the hell was that? I just just nuts. I you know, you feel bad for the guy because he pitched a phenomenal game to that point. And if they would have pulled him out, who the hell knows what would have happened? Um, one bad one piece of uh, bad news for the Braves. Uh, Adam Duvall's done for the season. He's gonna have to have surgery on his wrist after hitting the wall on Saturday. 
Um, but good news, Kirby Yates, the uh, former closer that they signed in the offseason, knowing that they wouldn't have him for half the season as he recovered from Tommy John, has been moved up to double A in his rehab in his uh, rehab starts or rehab appearances, excuse me. So hopefully he'll be ready to go, you know, early August, mid August um, to give the Braves another arm in the bullpen. And I believe that there are rumors that uh, Mike Soroka will hopefully be ready um, before too much longer as well. Although to be honest, I'm still shocked I, I will still be shocked if we see Mike Soroka do much of anything this year. I really would honestly prefer that they keep him shut down and, uh, you know, not run the risk of hurting him further because I'd rather see him bitch in the long term, especially when he's coming back from. Um, Darren O'Day, they did put on the 15 day IL. They were going to leave him day to day. He's got a strained calf, but. Um, they did move him to the IL, so he'll be out for a little while longer. Um, I'm just checking on Soroka quick. Um, okay, okay, good. They just updated this about four days ago. Snicker said Soroka hasn't reached a point where the team can set a timetable for potential return. So now they're saying that um, it, September, if at all, or more likely 2023, which, I, frankly, I feel better about, given that you know we're coming off a double – Doubly torn Achilles. All right, Joe. So I, you know, I Sunday didn't go the way I was hoping, but you know what? They took two out of three. I can't argue. Now, uh, what about a team that could actually complete the sweep? Well, I mean, first with the Braves, it, it's good for them to take two out of three and stay, you know, stay warm. Um, I, I don't remember if the Mets won two out of three or if they just won one out of three this past weekend. Um, but Anytime you can either tie or, you know, take one more than the Mets, that's a good, good series the rest of the way. I think the Mets somehow managed to squeak two out of three. Yeah, Mets squeaked two out of three, I believe. So, I mean, as long as you're staying within, you know, within that game and and a half. Game and a half. That's, that's, you know, obviously you want to, you want to pull ahead at some point in the year. And I think, the Braves will certainly probably do that um, the way that the Mets have been not hitting as well um, up and up until this weekend or last night anyway. Um, You know, so anytime you can win a series, it's, it's, it's important. And yeah, you'd love to get three, um, especially from a struggling, struggling angels team. But again, keep, keeping pace with the Mets is important here. And they won the series. Right. That's, that's what you need to do. You need to pick right. up these series wins. Even if you don't get the sweep, two out of three is good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm getting into the Cubs. I finally had a good week to talk about. As, as um, Get the brooms. Get the brooms. As good as it can be, um, given what's what's coming, I think it was nice for, for Cub fans to have a nice weekend coming out of the break. Um, and – um, again, with the looming trades that we're not really sure about just yet, um, uh, you know, Dave Robertson, trade value up, trade him now before he pitches again. Um, <laughs> Drew Smiley, trade value up, pit, trade him before he pitches again, or don't let him pitch at all. Um, Did I anyway, see Smiley freaking shut the Phillies out? We'll, we'll get to it, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> so Friday last year. Yeah. Um, Friday's game Cubs. I, I didn't follow it, but you know, Jason was like, well, this is the game I expected them to lose. And I'm like, okay, how bad was it? And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, so they win this one 15-2. Justin Steele gets the win. Uh, his ERA is almost under four. Um, but he, he's been on the wrong side of a couple of games, including that 20-5 to loss to Cincinnati. So, I mean, it's going to take a while for his ERA to get down again, um, no matter how many times you play the Diamondbacks or have another good day. So, um, you know um, – Justin Steele is continuing to, to develop there. Five innings, four hits, a run, four walks. Um, you know, effective enough. Um, you know, other than Kyle Schwarber and um, with a homer in the bottom of the first and um, trying to see when that other run was for, for Philly, um, in the bottom of the ninth, Derek Hall hit a homer. Um, but other than that, you know, six hits as a club um, for the Phils, two RBIs in this game, obviously, uh, six walks, um, and 16 guys left on. Um, you, you didn't put this lineup together expecting that kind of output. Um, the the Cubs, uh, Velasquez was two for two, two runs, five RBIs on the day. Uh, he's he's a, a young rookie who um, – Cub fans have been hoping that he would get some some time in, um, much to you know Jason Hayward's chagrin, um, and now he's finally getting some of those reps because um, Say is kind of working back up and not necessarily playing every single day. But uh, Velasquez is coming in in pitch hitting situations and he's you know coming in in center field and 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 again two for two two runs five RBIs. That, that's that's a fantastic day for a young kid. Um, and Nico continues to be, you know, have good approaches. He had a, a hit, a run, one for six, but um, two RBIs on the day. So good showing by, by the Cubs in, in game one, obviously. Um, good pitching and, and a good collection of hitting, getting it done for them um, in that game. So, you know, that was that was a good a good start to the weekend. Um, Saturday's game was six to two in ten innings, which still boggles my mind um, how this went that way. But um, at any rate, um, Nico hits a homer in the top of the second. Uh, JT has an RBI single in the bottom of the seventh, and then um, the the ninth the tenth inning happens and. The 10th inning was just like Schwindel reaches on a fielder's choice and you know, that it bounces and, and Nico scores because of the bounce into the, into the dirt and the hop. Um, Morel had an RBI single, um, you know, Velazquez reaches on a throwing air by who else, but Alec Bohm, um, who, who really Alec Bohm is, is he makes errors on, Easy, basic defensive plays. Uh, you know, in, 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 even in our Little League days, you're told get in front of it and knock it down, and he continues to try to play like 
he's almost like a like a, a guy in the bull ring where it's like you know he, he puts his glove out here and then he oh lays it and misses <laughs> um you know but yeah Robertson is three and0 in the bullpen um, with a 188 ERA and that's dro- that dropped on Sunday but still three and0 and and effective in the bullpen. Trade value up. I'm I'm talking to you, Met fans, because I want to win this trade again. <laughs> um, yeah. Nick again, Nico with a homer and, and a bunch of nonsense in the tenth inning. Tenth, the tenth inning was just unbelievable uh, to, to to witness it and to, and to wa- watch it happen in real time. And you're just like, what the heck just happened here? Um, you know, the, the Phillies, I think, you know, I, I really feel like they should have, as soon as Bryce got hurt, they should have gone out and picked up an outfielder or a bat of some kind because, you know, that's the only way they're going to tread water until he comes back. And, and you know, when, when Acuna got hurt last year, I told you, go get somebody. And they went and got somebody to see what they could do. And, and the Phillies didn't do that. So I, I'm not saying they're finished, and I don't think anybody really thinks they're done. But offensively, they need to, to get their act together. Um, but this pitching matchup in this one was Wheeler and Stroman. We, Stroman went six-plus, and Wheeler went seven, I think. And it was, you know, to, to pitch that well and get a no decision and, and then end up with a loss if you're Philly, it's just you can't lose those games. No. You can't lose those games when Wheeler gives you his best. I, that's just not not going to get it done. You know, we, we mentioned this last year. I, I, I'm i amazed that Wheeler and Nola ever allow themselves to be taken out of games given – how many times the uh, bullpen has let them down and the offense hasn't picked them up. It's you got to feel for guys like that. Whose records are significantly worse than they should be given the quality of pitching they're putting out. Yeah. When you look at here's, here's Wheeler's stat line for the Saturday game, seven innings, three hits, one run, six strikeouts. If, If you're Philly, you cannot lose those games. No. Your your reliable starter cannot be hung out to dry like that. And then Alvarado, I don't know what you call that mess of an inning he pitched in the tenth, but it was complete another <laughs> dumpster fire. I mean, a, a, as a neutral third party, enjoyable to watch. <laughs> neutral okay, third not- party, my ass. <laughs> maybe not quite neutral, but yeah, it. it I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, so it, 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 again, to me, am, am I, I? I don't. I'm not going to be someone who's like, well, we're 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 only 19 games under 500 now. Let's let's see what happens. No, but this was an exciting weekend, and it's capped off by Sunday's game, um, four to three win in this one. Uh, Smiley gets the win. Who and he was. Lights out, six innings, four hits, two runs. Only one of those was earned, and and four strikeouts. Um, he had a perfect game going, or no hitter going into the fifth inning. And Morel 
laid out for it and just just couldn't quite get there. Um, but and he felt terrible. But like in, into the fifth inning, Smiley had a no hitter going. So um, you know, trade value is certainly up for for him, considering how much he's been hurt. There's got to be a team that wants a starter like that um, to to give you some innings or a long relief guy. Maybe he pitches only a couple innings here and there. Who knows? Um, his curveball has been a big part of his repertoire here lately, and he's had some success with that. Um, Nick, this is probably Nico's worst game. He was 0 for 3 with a strikeout, but um, Morel went 2 for 4, uh, a ribby and a, and a walk. Um, Nico is the leading hitter on the Cubs team right now, hitting 300 going into tonight. Um, and uh, Jan Gomes is this was Jan Gomes's game. He was 2 for 4, two runs, two RBIs. They were both home runs. So. Um, that that move by Cubs management in the offseason has really paid dividends. Um, and it'll be even more beneficial if they keep Wilson or whatever they get back for Wilson. At least they have a quality catcher um, to take that spot. You know, given how bad the catching market is and the overall dearth of good catching available, especially defensively, they should get a pretty damn big haul back for Contreras. Maybe not quite what they got for Javi last year, but realistically they should be shooting for at least that maybe more. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with the offensive output up until lately of, of Wilson Contreras. You just can't. And, and defensively behind the plate, you know, managing the game, that really, you know, top-notch and and, and – Hopefully he either gets paid to stay or, you know, he comes back. He, he talks about how much he'd love to come back um, if, he, if he is traded. And Ian Happ doesn't want to go nowhere. So, you know, look, I, I don't know what lies in store here in the next two weeks here with, the, with this team the next week, um, with the deadline next week. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it for what it's worth, and I'm, I'm sure um, – between now tonight's game and and um, the Tuesday game uh, for Wilson, They're, those are his last tentative last home games at Wrigley, and I hope the fans shell out, and I know they will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's going to be uh, yeah that that'll be a crazy time. Um, let me see here. Did Jason have any other notes? Uh, Jason's other notes for the series. Cubs played very well, got timely hitting and pitching. Phillies pitching aside from game one wasn't bad, just fell apart in extras in game two. Wheeler and Dominguez were fantastic. Offense is just missing, and Castellanos is having an incredibly bad year. Team is starting to feel the effects of losing Harper and Segura. Segura should be back in a week or two, I think, but they aren't getting contributions from the whole team like they were in the weeks leading up to the All-Star game break. Not seeing as many pitches, not working walks, not being the anti-money baller of the week, <laughs> which I think is extremely well said. Um, and pretty, yeah, the Phillies are—they're they're undisciplined right now. They're playing un—they're hitting very undisciplined, and it's—it it shows. And I—I'm honestly—I—I'm I, surprised they didn't take at least one in the series. But I'm really not terribly surprised to see them get swept by the Cubs. 
Um, right now um, in Atlanta, it was the last time I saw it. I'm sorry, in Philadelphia against Atlanta, it was 4-3. It's still 4-3 right now. Um, so hopefully Atlanta holds on to win that one as well. We're actually going to be at the game tomorrow night. Um, we were originally going to take the uh, take my boys to the game uh, we took Jason and Karen to last month, but the uh, boys went on an impromptu camping trip with their grandparents, and how can you say no to that? So their first ever major league game will be tomorrow night. It's going to be a really good one, Spencer Strider and Aaron Nola. So I'm, I'm very excited for uh, them to see that. We're going to be up in the 300 level like we were last time, so... Um, far enough out that I don't, you know, I don't have to worry about trying to bare hand a fly ball or a foul ball just on the off chance. So uh, it, it should be a great time, though. It's it, that really is a beautiful ballpark to go see a game in. So, all right. So um, we're skipping hot players this week. We're going to skip the hot pitchers this week. We're going to skip most of the hot teams. Uh, Joe, I. The Cubbies earned it, man, with the sweep. And uh, as you know, my youngest son, Benji, is a huge Cubs fan. So uh, it, it feels wrong not to put the Cubs on the hot list for this week. Uh, I know the Dodgers should probably be on there soon, on there too, but to hell with the Dodgers. I don't care. <laughs> We're going to leave it just for the Cubbies this week. Yeah, and I, again, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, oh they went on a sweep. We can, we can you know not sell everything and not sell things here uh, next week. But, um, you know, it, again, a nice week. Do I think it's indicative of anything long-term for Philly? I think Philly's going to find a way to, to rebound from this. And and hopefully Dombrowski's got a, a couple of guys he's got his eye on to improve the club um, here, here at the, at the deadline. Yeah, they need to do something. I mean – the, the nice thing is you can finally play one of your two or three DHs that you have at DH instead of making them play in the field because Bryce Harper can't throw the freaking baseball. Right. But still, I mean, this team didn't have depth. They had a, they had a good to great lineup but they didn't really have much in the way of depth behind them. And they don't have a lot of depth in the minors and it's starting to show. Um, yeah. I, I do like that Thompson's playing the young guys. I do give them a chance, give them the exposure, give them the opportunity. But at the same time, it's, he doesn't make quite as many questionable decisions as Girardi does. But um, you know, from the recap that Jason and I had of the game, we went to, um, you know, he's wondering, you know, you either got to let the young guys go the whole way through or you pull the young guy for an experienced guy, but you do it at the right time. You don't do it at this time, you know. So, you know, we're not talking about crazy, crazy Kapler and his uh, 100% all in on advanced metrics. We're not talking about Girardi and his uh, fumbling lack of management of a pitching staff, but, you know, it definitely some fair questions that the uh, Phillies fans could have for the management of the of the team during games. All right. So looking at the upcoming week, Atlanta is in the road for the first half three at Philadelphia freed versus Suarez tonight, Strider versus Nola tomorrow, which I, like I said, I'm going to get to see Strider live. I'm excited for that. And then uh, Morton versus Gibson on Thursday. 
And then uh, they come home for the Diamondbacks, Wright versus Bumgarner, Anderson versus Martin, which I'm not looking forward to that game because I don't trust Ian Anderson to pitch his way out of a paper bag at this point. And then Max Freed versus Gilbert on Sunday. That's going to be a good matchup there. Um, for the Cubbies for the rest of the week, uh, you've got a stupid two-game miniseries with the Pirates at home, Samson versus Brubaker, Thompson versus Wilson. I know it, it's stupid. It makes no sense. And then uh, four on the road at the Giants because uh, somebody doesn't like your schedule writing. Steele versus Wood, Stroman versus Cobb, Smiley versus Junis, Samson versus Rodon. And then the Phillies, when they're done with when they're done getting beaten up by Atlanta, hopefully they go on the road to Pittsburgh. You got Wheeler versus Thompson, TBA versus Quintana, uh, Suarez versus Keller, and Nola versus Brubaker. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, Joe, it's got to be two out of three at least versus Philadelphia, and then it's got to be at least two out of three or a sweep against Arizona at home. Arizona is definitely better than they were last year. Um, I, let, let's face it, that's a team that had nowhere to go but up. But Arizona is still not going to be uh, world beaters. They're 42 and 53 with a negative 40 run differential at this point. So Atlanta needs to take the opportunity against, you know, lesser opponent and just get the job done. At least take the series. A sweep would be preferred, but take the series, keep the pressure on the Mets. And, you know, with Philadelphia, the big thing right now that you have to look at, especially from Atlanta's perspective, is if we can't catch the Mets, we need to look at positioning and, and um, seeding right now. Atlanta right now is the top wild card team, uh, seven games up. Uh, Philly's actually fallen out of the wild card. St. Louis passed and they're a game behind. And right now, Atlanta's got the third best record in the league. I don't remember if um, the CBA. Uh, would let a wild card team get a higher seed than a division winner or not. I, I hope it didn't because division winners should still be getting something. We shouldn't completely nerf the value of winning your division. But at the same time, um, if they did, that means Atlanta's going to be a three seed instead of a four seed. So, um, you know, you got to look at playoff positioning starting now. We are in the second half. Uh, yeah, I think um... – you know, it, it's definitely a big week for the Braves. I, like you said, you you hope to take two out of three from from Philly, if you can. The Philly seems to be reeling quite a bit. Um, again, the Diamondbacks, like you said, not as terrible as they've been in the past, but still not good. Um, and I, I think um, with the Mets playing the Yankees, and then going and playing the Marlins at the end of the week. You have to win the win the week at this point is kind of the strategy here, and, and if you take two out of three in both of those series, or is, is one of them four, or is it three games each? Two out of three for both. Yeah, they're both yeah. three games. You take two out of three in both of those series, you're probably going to win the week. Yeah, um, you know, and and that's the the strategy going forward. If if you're in contention in any of these races, is win the week and then see what happens. Yeah. You know, sneak a sweep here and there if you can, but just keep taking series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sweeps are, are so hard to do depending on offense and pitching and all that. Um, and but all he, the, all the information that teams have now. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to get a sweep when you're at home playing a bad team. Yeah. So, 
How, how do you think the Cubbies are going to do on the road in San Francisco? I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, – I, I don't remember San Francisco's record offhand. Let me see here. But it's – you know, they're – they're not. They're underperforming, obviously. I think quite a bit, um, at least compared to what what the Dodgers are doing, obviously. Um, but you know, I for the Cubs, I think it's more about you know control what you can control this week. I think you expect to win at least one of these two against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, and that that one that you expect to win is tomorrow night with Keegan on the bump. Um, you know, and, and you see what happens in, in San Francisco. Um, but, but more importantly, it's just control what you can control, do the best you can in the field and try to block out where Wilson's going to be next week, where Ian Happ could be next week, where Robertson could be next week. You basically just have to go, look, can't control any of that. Don't know what's going to happen and do what you have to do on the field. Um, you know, and again, as I've said before, for me, the Cubs this year, it's, you know, figuring out what you have going forward, you know, is, is we know now we didn't know at the beginning of the year, Nico is the shortstop on the next best cup team, either shortstop or second base. Um, you know, he has solidified himself there. Um, you know, Christopher Morrell. It, these guys are, are finding ways to, you know, figure out what they have is kind of what, what my approach is as a Cub fan going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> the Phillies, I mean, especially if they drop the series to Atlanta, um, I don't want to say do or die yet. It's a little early to say it, but uh, four games of the Pirates – you need to take those four games. And I know Philly doesn't traditionally play great out in Pittsburgh, but they need to take it. They need to at least split this four game or take three out of four sweep. I, if they don't, especially because they're throwing both Nola and Wheeler in the series, that's, that's not going to look good for the Phillies if they can't at least split. Yeah. A winning week, a good week for Philly is, is three of four against Pittsburgh and, one or two in the beginning of the week here against the Braves. If they're able to get that, that's more than you can ask for. Um, getting one from, from the Braves would be, um, you know, would be a good, um, a good week. The one, one against the Braves and three against Pittsburgh. Yeah. All right, Joe, any other series you have your eye on? Not particularly. I, I mean, Mets Yankees here at the beginning of the week should be fun to watch. Um, I'm interested to see um, what starts happening with Boston. Do they just start to go, you know what? It's time to sell. And this is that, that would be really surprising because they were a team who arrived a a year early last year and it, it just hasn't, you know, hasn't materialized the same way this year. Um, you know, they, they, Sent away or sent away or, or lost in free agency Hunter Renfro in the offseason, and the Yankees have just been insane. So, and you know, here's the thing Boston is on a five game skid, they're one and nine in the last 10, they're down to a 500 record at 48 and 48. 
Um, the Orioles will likely catch them before too much longer. Now, they are winning against the Guardians tonight. They're up 3-1 in the top of the seventh. But this is a team with a negative 12 run differential. That's 27-34 and 34 against teams with a greater than 500 record. That's not going to get it done. But at the same time, this is Baston. This is a team that doesn't sell. No, they don't. And I, I, I mean, they, they might get rid of one or two pieces. Um, but, you know, depending what they can get for it. Um, I mean, JD is probably on the, on the, on the rumor wire with what he could do as a DH. Um, he'd fit right in and, in in Queens probably and big, be a big upgrade, but they also have, you know, the, the, uh, Adult softball league champion uh, Vogelbach, man, he he's a beast. That that trade when that came down, I was like, really? This is a we don't know what the hell we're going to be moving. Let's face, it, we may flip Vogelbach in a few weeks too, depending on how things roll. Well, and the fact like they showed his second to home speed, and it was like seven point seven four. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, there, there's still hope for, for guys like us. Yeah, right. <laughs> I I mean I I I think I could beat seven. I, I think I could beat seven point seven four. Not by much, but I'm sure I could beat it. That's pretty terrible. All right. So uh guys, you can find our audio recordings on Anchor, Spotify Breaker, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Spreaker. You can see us live on the YouTube channel, on Facebook Live, and on Twitter. You can find our merchandise at redbubble.com slash people slash DDAB podcast. Follow us on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash dollar dogs and beer. On the Twitter page at DDAB underscore podcast. You can find all three of us on Twitter. I'm at PyroLord314. Jason's at JRicker300. And Joe is at JoltonJoe35. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast LLC. And we are sponsored by the amazing Whiskey and Blade Barbershop and Lidditz. Uh Johnny, I will see you Wednesday. And we can uh, talk, point, uh, we could talk hopefully about your Yankees beating the ever-loving hell out of the Mets for me. May your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs>